Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make sure you're aware of a few things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks at Hope Church LV, and also be sure to check out our website at hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we're going as a church. Once again, thank you so much for checking out this sermon at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. The scripture, the Bible says of itself that all scripture is inspired by God. That means that what we have today in the Bible is literally the very word of God. And it's why as Christians, everything we believe is rooted and grounded in the truth of the Bible. But what we have today as we read the Bible is a translation that we read in English. The Bible was not originally written in English. The Bible originally was written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And from those original manuscripts, we have English translations of the Scripture. But what we have in our English translation is the Word of God. God has given us His Word. Now, if, if that's a subject that's of interest to you to know more about the Bible and where it came from, because at Hope, we teach through the Bible. We're actually in a series right now about family, and we're rooting it and grounding it in the Bible. If maybe you have the question, can I really trust the Bible, if you you would like to, you can go to our website, hopechurchonline.com, and there's a link that you can click for sermons, and on that sermons page, there's a search box. You can actually see it up here. It's a search box right here. If you just search, can I trust the Bible? You'll see a couple of different messages will pop up here. They're going to be really similar, but there are two different times that I've taught here on the authenticity and the, the truth of the Bible. So, if you'd like to know more more about translation and, and how we can have confidence that what we have is the Word of God. We got some resources where you can dig in deeper on that subject, and it's just a question, can I trust the Bible? You search that, and those messages will pop right up. You say, why are you telling us that? Here's why I'm telling you that. Because what's not part of the Bible are the verse numbers and the chapter breakdowns and the headings that we have in our modern translation. When the Bible was originally written, the authors of the Bible did not put the verse numbers in there. They were originally written as letters or as historical documents, and so they were written in paragraph form. The reason we have all the verse numbers in there is so that we don't have to stand up here and say, okay, I'd like you to turn today. Well, I couldn't even say a page number, right? Because everybody's got a different, different size fonts and different page numbers. I'd say, well, I'll tell you what, let's just go about three-fourths of the way in. And when you get to this word, well, we're going to look at about line number seven uh, of paragraph number 35 in this particular letter. The verse numbers and chapters were placed in there so that we could with ease all find the same particular scripture that we're reading. The chapter heading that we read placed in there were provided to kind of show us where new thoughts begin. 
But you got to understand those chapter headings and verse, sometimes when you look at a verse number, you're like, why did they break that verse up there? Well, that was somebody trying to help us be able to identify, but it was originally written as just paragraphs and sentences together. You say again, why are you telling us that? Here's why. Because I think one of the big mistakes when you get to understanding Ephesians chapter 5 is a mistake that was made because translators, by inserting subject headings, trying to help us, actually did just the opposite. Let me show you what I mean. I'm going to show you some pictures up here of some very common translations of Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, this is out of the NIV. How many of you read out of the NIV translation? That's what I thought, very popular translation. A lot of people read the NIV. So this is a section out of Ephesians chapter 5. You can see here verse number 21. You see that number there. And then this is verse number 22. But in between verse 21 and 22, they give us a subject heading. What is the subject heading? Read it out loud. Now, that line, wives and husbands, Paul did not write that. That was not in the Greek manuscript. That's the translator showing us Paul is beginning a new thought, and this new thought is Paul writing about family. Same thing in the ESV. Let me show it to you. The ESV. Here's verse 21. Here's verse 22. Here's the subject heading. What does it say? Paul did not write that. That was not in the original manuscript. That's the translator showing us there's a new subject beginning, talking about the relationship between husbands and wives. A lot of you use the New American Standard Bible because that's the one I teach out of. Here's the NASB. Same thing, same mistake. Verse 21, verse 22, and then here's another heading. What does it say? Marriage like Christ and the church. Paul did not write that. That's been added to help us understand he's beginning a new thought. So if you look at all the modern translations, it looks like the new thought begins with verse number what? 22, right? And the first line is what? Wives, be subject to your own husbands. That's why when most churches teach on the subject of family relationships, that's the starting point. And that always starts off so well, right? <laughs> but here's where the translators let us down. This was written by Paul as one paragraph. You cannot separate the teaching of verses 22 and following from what has just been said. As a matter of fact, this idea of subjection is really borrowed from the verse before. Verse 21 is the framework. Verse 21 is the foundation. And everything Paul is going to say in Ephesians chapter 5 about the way husbands and wives relate to each other and the way parents and children relate to each other is really Paul just giving us an example of what it looks like when we live out verse 21 inside the home. So if we don't understand verse 21, we're never going to get this thing of family dynamics right. So let me show you verse 21, and hopefully this will make sense. Paul says, and be subject to one another 
in the fear of Christ. That's the umbrella. That's the overarching instruction. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are to live in submission to one another. The defining way we relate to each other as as brothers and sisters in Christ is submission towards one another. Then Paul says, now let me show you what that looks like in the context of husbands and wives and parents and children and other things. So Paul's giving us examples, but we have to understand this is where it really comes from. We're in a series right now called Family Matters. We're looking at God's Word, what we believe to be the truth from God, to give us instruction that would give us hope for our households, this this series of family matters. But everything we're going to say in this series really is simply the application or the demonstration of this verse. Everything else falls under this. If that makes sense, say amen. Amen. Now, if you weren't here last weekend, we started this series by talking about this, and I went into great detail with it. Uh, I didn't get to finish. You didn't listen fast enough <laughs> last weekend. So, we're, we're, we're diving back into this verse so that we really understand what it means. And the reason we're giving two weeks to this one verse is, again, everything else we're going to talk about is simply this being unpacked in the relationships and dynamics of the family. Now, last weekend, I gave you three foundational truths that I want to remind you of as we begin today. Number one, Paul is writing to followers of Jesus. As we read this passage of Scripture and we understand the dynamics inside the family as recorded in Scripture, Paul here is writing to people who've already embraced Jesus as the Lord and Savior of their lives. And here's why that's important. This section of Scripture is not a how-to manual for the modern marriage. This is God's design for those who surrendered their lives to Jesus and are pursuing the radical lifestyle of following Jesus, which is dying to myself so that Christ may live in me. That is a very different way of living. If you've stumbled into this series thinking there's going to be a few how-to self-help steps to kind of fix our family, that's, that's not what Paul is writing here. Paul is teaching us what it looks like for followers of Jesus to live in submission to Christ. And as we do that and Christ lives his life through us, it radically changes the way we relate to one another, which looks like subjection to one another. So I said this last weekend, but let me say it again as we start this series. If you've come here because somebody invited you and you're hoping that that we're going to give you some steps and some practical applications, and listen, we're going to do all of that. We're going to give you some some how-tos and some practical steps over the next several weeks, and we're actually giving them to you in text on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. If you're a part of that group text, we're giving you some practical tips. But here's what I want you to hear me say. The only real solution for your family is Jesus. Jesus is the answer. It's when we come to know Jesus 
that Jesus begins to lead us out of our brokenness in a work of redeeming and restoring that which we lost because of our own sin, Christ and our relationship to Christ begins to radically change us. So if you're here today and, and you've come in and you're like, man, I, I'm, I'm coming from a place of brokenness and I need help. Hope Church is not the answer. This sermon series is not the answer. Family Matters is not the answer. But listen to me, Jesus Christ is the answer. Jesus can do something in you that can begin to change you and that will begin to change the way you relate to one another inside the home. So Paul is writing to followers of Jesus. Secondly, Paul is writing to followers of Jesus who are filled with the Holy Spirit. I told you a minute ago, everything we're about to teach falls under this idea of being subject to one another. Where does that come from? Being subject to one another is an expression of our being filled with the Holy Spirit. A couple of verses earlier in verse 18, Paul commands us as followers of Christ to be filled with the Spirit. What does that mean? It means that as a Christian, I'm to live moment by moment yielding the control of my life to the person of the Holy Spirit, where he now is applying the Word of God to my choices, my actions, my attitudes, and my reactions. So Paul here is writing to people assuming they already know Jesus and assuming they are living yielded to the control of the Holy Spirit of God. So based on that, here's what Paul is saying. Here's the third application, the third foundational truth. Being filled with the Holy Spirit changes the way we relate to one another, especially inside the family. Paul is assuming I'm writing to people who love Jesus. And he's assuming I'm writing to people who love Jesus who are seeking to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So Paul says, let me show you what it looks like now as Jesus followers, when you're full of the Holy Spirit, here's the way it changes the way you relate to one another. You begin to live in submission to one another. And then Paul shows us detail about what that looks like inside the family. If you got all that, say amen. amen. All right, you're caught up. You say, why didn't you say it that fast last weekend? <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> But today, I want to dig deeper into this verse of Scripture, verse 21, and I want to ask and answer three questions. But let me say this up front. Hear me to the end, okay? Don't, don't just hear me say one thing and start sending me that email. All right, hear me all the way to the end of what we want to say this morning. So here's the first question. What does it mean to be subject to one another? What does it mean? Well, the word be subject is a verb. This particular verb was not a verb. It wasn't a word that was just a church word. It wasn't just a spiritual word. It was an everyday word in the Greek language that they had many applications. It's, it's most original meaning. This word be subject was a military term. It was borrowed from the field of military experience. And in the military world, this term had the idea of lining up under someone else to be subject in battle. You line up under those who've been placed in authority over you. This word be subject, as it continued to be used, it carried with it the idea of a voluntary yielding. And the way Paul is using it here, it carries the weight 
of a command, meaning this. When Paul says to you and I, be subject to one another, it's really flowing out of the command to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So walking in submission to the Holy Spirit of God is not an option for the Christian. Moment by moment, we're to yield the control of our lives to the Holy Spirit of God. And as we do that, we will then be subject to one another, meaning this. Being subject, living in submission to one another is not an option for us to pray about as Christians. Submission to one another is the defining mark of our lives when we're walking full of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, I understand that there's a problem with this. And the problem is that the word submission is not a very popular word today, right? I mean, some of us have already begun to sit up in our seat and feel uncomfortable because we're talking about the way. And see, what you've already done, some of you have already run to verse 22. We're not even there yet. We're still in verse 21. We're not talking about husbands and wives and parents and children. We're talking about one another. I mean, the defining way that every one of us in this room who are followers of Jesus is to relate to each other, is to live in submission to one another. But man, we don't like that word. John Stott, great theologian and writer, I thought had good insight into contemporary culture. Listen to what he said. Now, the very notion of submission is out of fashion today. Amen? That's a good place to say it. It is totally at variance with contemporary attitudes of permissiveness and freedom. <laughs> Almost nothing is calculated to arouse more angry protest than the talk of subjection. Ours is an age of liberation, and anything savoring of oppression is deeply resented and strongly resisted. How are Christians to react to this modern world? Great question. Amen? Here's what you need to know up front. He uses two words in that paragraph that I want us to talk about, submission and oppression. And listen to me very carefully. The call to Christ-like submission is never a biblical justification for enduring and tolerating oppression. I'm going to say it one more time. The call to Christ-like submission is never, never, it is never a biblical justification for enduring and tolerating oppression. Let me try to help you understand the difference between submission and oppression. Let me give you a definition. And our pastors, we've been working on these together, but, but here's a defining statement about oppression. Oppression is a wielding of control from the outside, and it usually manifests itself in cruel and unjust treatment. 
Oppression is a sinful way of relating to others that says, I am more important than you. Oppression is a demanding of submission. And a demanding of submission is never what the scripture is talking about here. Oppression is a wielding of control from a perspective of superiority that says, I'm better than you, and because I'm better than you, and because I'm more valuable than you, then you have to relate to me as though I'm better than you. Oppression is not what the Scripture is talking about. What is submission? Let me show you the opposite. Submission is a yielding of control from the inside. Submission is a Christ-like way of relating to others that says, you are more important than me. Submission is an internal response to the Holy Spirit. Listen, don't miss this. It's not that they are more important. It's that because of Christ in me, I'm relating to them as if they're more important. Let me, let me try to help you understand the difference. I don't know what it's like in your house on a given afternoon, but in my house on a given afternoon, say a Saturday afternoon at my house, it's kind of each man for himself. And here's what I mean by that. If you're thirsty, you get up, you go to the refrigerator, and you get you something to drink. And if you drink that and it's empty, guess what you do? You get back up and you go back to the refrigerator if you want something else and you get something else. If you're hungry and you want a snack... You know what you do? You get up out of your seat and you go into the pantry and you find out which snack you want and you get it out of the pantry and you prepare to eat it and you take it back to your seat and you enjoy that snack. If you need anything else, you get up and you take care of that. Now, if we had a guest in our home on a Saturday afternoon, everything changes, right? All of a sudden, now everybody's like, oh, do you need something to drink? Oh, let, let me get you. What do you want to drink? We got this and this and this. You tell me what you want. I'll go get it. And we go, we go fix them a drink, and they start drinking that, and they get about halfway down. Hey, would you like some more? Can I get you something else? Or, are you hungry? You need to say, let me tell you what all we got in the pantry. Man, we got this and this and that. You tell me what you want. I'll go get it for you, and I'll bring it to you, right? That never happens when there's not a guest, right? <laughs> Ain't nobody watching my cup on Saturday afternoon. But hey, to be totally transparent, I'm not watching anybody else's either. Now, is it that the guest is more important than our family? No. But one aspect of Christ-like submission is hospitality. And hospitality says when there's a guest, it's not that they're more important, but I'm going to relate to them as if they're more important, right? What is that? that it's not that they're of more value. It's not that they are more important. It's an internal response to the Holy Spirit where I'm choosing to relate to them in that way. Oppression and submission. Now, based on those two defining statements that we had up here on the screen about oppression and submission, let me give you a couple of applications. Here's the first one. As Christians, 
We should stand against oppression in all forms. What Paul is writing here, there are Christians, there are people who've taken the context of Ephesians chapter 5 and 6 and used it to justify the wielding of control from the outside. That is never the heartbeat of Ephesians chapter 5. It is rooted and grounded in us being in subjection to one another. And as Christians, we should always stand against all forms of oppression, no matter where we find it. For example, if we find it in the home, We should stand against that. What does it look like in the home, in the family? Oppression can look like spousal abuse, child abuse. The abuse can be verbal, physical, sexual, emotional, mental. Paul is in no way here justifying abuse, justifying Oppression. That is not the heartbeat of this passage of Scripture. But not just in the family. We should stand against oppression when we see it in society. What does it look like in society? Bigotry, racism, classism, xenophobia, social injustice. All of these things are expressions of where someone with an attitude of superiority is wielding control over somebody else in a way that manifests itself as cruel and unjust punishment. And as Christians, we should never tolerate that in society, ever. There's no place, no place. You say, why, why would you say that? Are you just trying to, to raise political issues? No, no. I want to give you two biblical justifications for what I just said. Here's the first one. Jesus demonstrated and expected care and compassion for the least of these in society. He modeled it. He modeled it. And when in the scripture, the Bible uses the word, the least of these, it literally, that word least, one, one, one translation of it could literally be being the lowest in status. Jesus demonstrated this. Let me show you how he demonstrated it. Whether it was an unclean leper, the outcast woman, the despised Samaritan, or the unwanted child, Jesus demonstrated care and compassion to the least of these throughout his earthly ministry. Those that were overlooked, those that were forgotten, those that were rejected, those that were despised, always caught the attention of Jesus, and he demonstrated care and compassion to them. Not only that, in his teaching... Jesus taught us to do this. Think about the parable of the Good Samaritan. What is that parable all about? It's about noticing the one that often many others overlook and despise and meeting their need. Think about when Jesus taught us that when we're serving the least of these, that's when we're doing it unto him, when we're serving him. Jesus demonstrated this standing against oppression and the Christian life is a radical way of life that that leads us to stand against oppression in all But not only is there biblical justification in looking at the life of Jesus, there's also biblical justification for this in understanding Paul's theology. Paul is the one who's writing this letter. 
And to read Ephesians chapter 5 and somehow think that Paul is saying some people are more important than other people and because they're more important than other people, they get to demand submission from others. To read this passage of Scripture and interpret it that way is to violate everything Paul's been saying to us in his other writings. For example, in this this letter of Ephesians, earlier in the letter, Paul has stated that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. There's no more Jew and Gentile. We are now one body in Christ. Ten years before Paul wrote this letter, he wrote another letter to the church in Galatia. Let me show you what he said. Galatians chapter 3. Look what he said. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. In the eyes of God, we are all created in his image. We are all redeemed by his blood, and we stand together with dignity and equality as men and women, brothers and sisters in Christ. And what we've been called to here is a relationship, not of oppression, but a relationship of submission to one another. There is no place in Christianity for a demanding spirit of superiority that manifests itself in the oppression of others. Demanded submission is never the heartbeat of Ephesians chapter 5. Let me say it again. Demanded submission. Well, the Bible says so. Demanded submission is never the heartbeat of Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 is a Christ-like submission in response to the Holy Spirit where we choose to relate to one another this way. That being said, I want to make a statement today, and I don't often preach from a a script, but I did write out specifically the language of this statement. If you are living today in an abusive situation, It is not God's desire nor design for you to remain in that situation. You should seek immediate help to remove yourself from that situation and find biblical counsel to guide you through your healing and decision-making process. This church is ready to stand with you, and God's grace will see you through. Do not let anybody... Use Ephesians chapter 5 to justify an attitude of oppression over you. Because before Paul talks about how we relate as husbands and wives, he starts by saying every one of us are to live in Christ-like submission to one another. So here's the second application. As Christians, we should demonstrate Christ-like submission at all times towards one another. 
This is not a cowering response to an outward force. It's an inward disposition in response to the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. And it's also something that defines the way we relate. The way Paul uses this phrase, be subject, he's not just talking about the way we act towards one another at church or the way we act towards one another in small group. He's describing the way we're to relate to one another all the time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You say, well, then give me some practical application of what this looks like. Well, I'm glad you asked that. Let me show you. Paul writes in another letter and he gives a description of what it looks like to be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Look at it. Philippians chapter 2. Look what he says. Do nothing. That word nothing, it's literally in the Greek language, it's a compound word. It's two words put together with a negative on the front of it. It's one thing with the negative. Not one thing. Hear it that way. Do not one thing. No thought, no action, no reaction. Do not one thing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. I started this by saying the whole Bible is the word of God, but I'm just telling you, if we just lived out that, it'd change everything about our lives. That changed our church, that changed our city, that changed our family, that changed our country, that changed our world. It'd probably eliminate Twitter. <laughs> I'm just saying. Hashtag. Let me give you that in a statement. I gave it to you last weekend. Here's the statement that we believe defines submission to one another. In every way I relate to you, I consider you more important than me. Let's say it out loud together. You ready? One, two, three. In every way I relate to you, I consider you more important than me. Now, again, don't miss this. We're not talking about value. It's not that somebody is more important than you. Paul said, we're one in Christ. Equal value, equal dignity, equal purpose, equal everything. But because of Christ in me, I'm choosing to relate to you as though you are more important than me. Think about how this would change your relationships. What if we started living that out? Think about your marriage. Think about your relationship with your parents or your children, your brothers or your sisters. Here's the problem. We often relate to each other just the opposite of this. In every way I relate to you, I consider me more important than you. You know what that's the definition of? Conflict, <laughs> right? And here's the thing. The opposite of this is who we are in our flesh. Let's just be honest. Let's take our church face off for a minute. Left to myself, put the fire underneath it, right? Let's get it hot. And here's what, here's what we realize. I think I'm more important than you. 
Now, it's not who Christ is in me. So what this describes is now an ongoing battle, right? For the rest of my life here on this earth until Jesus comes again, there's a war going on between my flesh and my spirit. Every moment of every day, this battle is being fought. My wife and I felt it last night. My wife and I last night on the eve of this sermon, (laughs) my wife and I had, let me just say, I'll call it a discussion. (laughs) Well, let me just say it was a passionate discussion. (laughs) Went on for a few minutes. Got a little heated. You boil it down, you know what it was? I wanted my way, and she wanted her way. I thought my way was more important than her way, (laughs) and she equally thought her way was more important than my way. Somebody in the first service said, well, who won? (laughs) Well, well, I'm here. And I'm smiling, which means she did, right? <laughs> and, and, and all kidding aside, we, we, we kind of got to the end of it and we're kind of like, seriously, it, knowing where we, we are right now, knowing I got a four times talk about this today. <laughs> You know what would have changed that discussion? If in every way I related to her, I would have just considered her more important than me. But the equally thing, equal side is just as true. If she would have, in every way she related to me, considered me more important than her. And get this. If we both had come at it from that perspective, wow. You know what that is? Game changing in the family. But listen, left to ourselves, we ain't doing that. Because my flesh wants to be right. My flesh wants my way. Paul describes the battle in Galatians. Let me show it to you. Galatians 5, verse 16. And I'm giving you this in the Amplified Bible because I like the way they kind of blow up the verbs. Listen to what it said. But I say, walk and live habitually in the Holy Spirit, responsive to and controlled and guided by the Spirit. Then you will certainly not gratify the cravings and desires of the flesh of human nature without God. For the desires of the flesh are opposed to the Holy Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are opposed to the flesh. Godless human nature. For these are antagonistic. Anybody identify with it? These are antagonistic. In those moments, my flesh wants what it wants. And at the same time, the Holy Spirit of God is whispering in my soul, die to yourself. Christ may live in you. 
Paul says they're antagonistic to each other, continually withstanding and in conflict with each other so that you are not free from a free but are prevented from doing what you desire to do. That's why this whole thing begins by we got to be filled with the Spirit. We got to be responsive to the Holy Spirit because only then Christ in me will begin to live this out. Only then can I possibly in every way I relate to you. And listen, we're not even talking yet about husbands and wives. We're talking about how we relate to one another. Think how it would change our church. Let me ask another question. Why? Why am I to relate to others this way? Because if we're going to be honest, it's very countercultural, right? Culture teaches us stand up for yourself. Now, again, don't, we've already stated this, but I want to make it clear. We're not talking about a justification for oppression or abuse. That's not what we're talking about. We've given you instruction what to do in those situations. I'm talking about two people, healthy relationship, living in Christ-like submission to one another, but our culture says, stand up for yourself. Our culture says, you do you. Our culture says, watch out for number one. Our culture says, I know my truth. Our culture says, take care of yourself or nobody else will. And Jesus says, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And there's the key. Put that verse back up here. Why are we to do this? Be subject to one another. Say this part. In the what? The word fear is a word that means reverence. It's a feeling of profound respect for someone or something. It's an attitude of honor. It's like a child that has so enjoyed the love and security of their parent that that child now longs to honor and longs to please the heart of that parent. The scripture here is teaching us because we've so enjoyed the love of Christ and the faithfulness of Christ and the security of Christ that now there should be a desire in us to live a life that is pleasing Christ and honoring Christ and even more than that allowing Christ to live his life through us what does that look like well let me go back and show you go back to Philippians chapter 2 we read this a moment ago but listen to it do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves do not merely look out for your own personal interest but also for the interest of others have this attitude in yourselves which was also in who do you hear it Why are we supposed to live like this? Because it's being a good Christian. No, because it's the very life of Christ. And then he gives us an example. Look, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant. You know what that makes me think of? It makes me think of that night in the upper room where there's Jesus and 12 disciples, and they all got dirty feet. And there's a towel and a bowl. And somebody needs to wash everybody's feet. And the last person, the very last person that ought to have that towel in his hand is God in the flesh. God in the flesh should have been able to demand that others wash his feet. And yet it's God himself 
in the person of Christ that picks up the towel and he washes the feet of those 12 men. What is that? Submission. We're talking about the radical life of Jesus being lived out in us as we relate to one another, both in Christian community and then also inside the context of family. Look what it goes on to say. He said, took on the form of a bondservant. Then it says, being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. How? By becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Jesus did not deserve to die. I deserve to die. You deserve to die. But he subjected himself even to the cross. Here's what that tells me about Jesus. Jesus saw people. Jesus served people. And Jesus sacrificed for people. All with a heart of submission. What if we think about that as a practical application today? Here's what that means. Christ-like submission sees people. It speaks to attention. Let me make it real plain. You're sitting down with somebody in your, ha- somebody in your family, your spouse, your children, parents with their, or kids with their parents, having a conversation, having a meal in this tech-dominated society. Let me tell you what submission does. Submission puts down the phone. Submission puts down the tablet. Submission puts down the iPad. Submission closes the laptop. And submission gives you my undivided attention. Because I'm going to relate to you like whatever you're saying is way more important than what I got going on on that device. You know what that is? That's Christ-like submission. It's the power of presence. You know what you're saying when you're so distracted, when they're trying to... You know what you're saying? That you're just not that important to me. Christ-like submission not only sees people, Christ-like submission serves people. Here's what that means. We look for opportunities to meet needs in the people's lives that are in our family and in our Christian community. Christ-like submission sacrifices for people. It gives up something of value. Why would I do that? Because I'm relating to you as if you're more important than me. Here's the last question. Is this really possible? Is this really possible? Let's look at it again. In every way I relate to you, I consider you more important than me. Is that really possible? (laughs) Hey, in my own strength, absolutely not. I'll let you down every time. I'll fail my wife. I'll fail my kids. I'll fail my grandchildren every time. But listen, by the power of Christ in me and by the power of Christ in you, that can be the defining mark of how we relate to one another. Be subject one another. Listen, everything else we're going to talk about in the family, 
is simply an example of that. Let's pray. Father, I pray in this moment that you would speak to us as only you can. God, that your Holy Spirit would take truths and bring application to our lives. As you sit quietly in a spirit of prayer, in just a moment, we're going to have a time where we stand and sing a song of response. It's an opportunity to worship God in response to what we've heard today. This morning, as you sit here before the Lord, I I want you to think about two questions. And here's the first one. Do you know Jesus? I said earlier, that's the starting point. Listen, this is not going to be a self-help series. It's in pop psychology. Jesus is the answer today. Do you know Jesus? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Are you sure that you know Jesus? If today you don't know Jesus, when we stand and sing a song of worship in just a moment, we're going to have pastors here at the front. If today God has spoken to you and you know that you need to know Jesus, while we're singing, I want to invite you to come to one of our pastors here at the front. See, here's the whole story of the Bible. The whole story of the Bible is that God made you to know him and to love him and to be known and loved by him. But because of our sin, we're separated from God. We've all sinned against God, but God loved us so much that he didn't leave us there. God sent his son Jesus into the world, and Jesus took all of your sin and all of my sin on himself, and on the cross, Jesus died for our sin. But he didn't stay dead. He rose again. And the Bible says now you and I can put our faith in Jesus, and when we do, we get to be born again into relationship with God. We're brought into relationship with him where he lives in us and gives us the power to live this thing called Christianity. But if you don't know Jesus today, the how-tos don't help without the source of life. So if you don't know Jesus, when we stand in a moment, I want to invite you to come to one of our pastors and say, I need Jesus. And we'll take about three minutes. We'll have somebody sit down with you and open a Bible and show you how you can have a relationship with Jesus today. All you got to do is come. Just come and say, I need Jesus. Here's the second question. If you already know Jesus, are you walking full of the Holy Spirit? Say, how do I know? The defining mark is submission to one another. Are you walking full of the Holy Spirit of God today? Maybe, maybe God's convicted you about some relationships. Maybe it's marriage, maybe it's friends, maybe it's coworkers, maybe it's classmates, maybe it's parents, maybe it's children, maybe it's brothers, maybe it's sisters, where you're considering yourself more important than them. And you need to turn your seat into an altar. You just need to come get in one of these altars and just be alone with God for a few minutes and just pour it out. Confess it. Embrace God's forgiveness and drive a stake down in the ground to say, I'm going to walk moment by moment filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Maybe you just need to pray with a pastor about something in your job, your health, your family. We're here. We'd be honored to pray for you. Just come today. Father, have your way in this moment as we respond. God, would you move as only you can. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.